All right, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Gather back around. You can find your seats. This morning we are going to um, talk about living in the Spirit. And um, really we're sort of on an adventure with God. Um, at the January 1st when I preached, I felt like the Lord was highlighting the need um, for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. For me personally, but for our house, for individuals. Um, and the question that we asked that morning was, how empowered are you willing to be by the Holy Spirit? Nobody can answer that for you. Right? It's, it's, not, a, it's not a simple question. Because if you follow the lives of anybody who's been empowered by the Holy Spirit, it often takes you to places where you could never imagine that you go. It takes you to places of risk. It puts you in tricky situations. You are dependent upon God to come through when it seems like you don't know how he's going to come through. It's a walking in the spirit, right? And there's something that God's after. And so as I, after I gave that message, I felt like I asked the Holy Spirit, okay, how do you want us to proceed? What would you have us do as we, as we explore this? And I felt like he highlighted Galatians that we're supposed to go through the book of Galatians. And I haven't, I don't know if I've ever done, we, we looked at the book of Daniel, like pieces of that last year, but to actually go from front of a book to the end of a book, um, I haven't really done that. And so, um, in all my preaching, but, uh, but we're going to do that this year. And so, at least for the start of the year, we're going to be in Galatians. The first six messages that I will give will be out of the first six chapters, the six chapters of Galatians. And so this morning, we're going to look at Galatians 1. But before we do, just a little history, right? So Galatians was written by Paul. Everybody's in agreement with that. Um, the timing's a little tricky. It was either the late 40s or the early 50s A.D. And most scholars believe that it was the very first letter or epistle that Paul wrote. Um, and um, it was written to the churches of Galatia, who were predominantly the Gentiles, they were established, these churches were established on Paul's first and second missionary journeys, right? So he had three primary missionary journeys. On the first and the second, that's where these churches developed and grew out of that. Um, and it was in Asia Minor at that time. Today, it's modern-day Turkey, okay? So that gives you just the landscape of, of where we are in the world. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Galatians um, chapter 1. And I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles, um, for this, at least for this series. Um, so that way you can actually see it. Often, I know Lisa, she loves to put the scriptures up there. I, I don't necessarily, I don't know why. So there's a program that we have on our computer where Steve McGarry, if he had the power, he could just pop it up there. But someday we'll figure that out. But the reality is, um, bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. If it's just on your phone, bring your phone. Galatians chapter 1 um, says this. Paul, an apostle not sent from men nor through human agency, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So just remember, it's a letter, right? So it's a letter from someone to someone. Um, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. So Paul opens this letter to the churches of Galatia. 
And he immediately reestablishes something. He reestablishes the gospel message, the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ rescued you, rescued him. Jesus Christ paid for our sins through the cross that we would be saved and restored into right relationship with the Father. Pastor Lou talked about that this morning. The curtain was cut. The, the veil was torn. We could enter fully into the presence of the Father because of what Jesus did. It was the Father's will that this happened, and it was the Father's power that made it happen. It was his grace. We're going to look at that word grace today. Grace is the operational power, or in the Greek, it's, it's dunamis, right? The dunamis which is the ability and the authority. It's the ability that he can do it, but he also has the authority to do it, right? And it flows from God. It's his will. It comes from God towards you, towards me, right? So it's initiated by him. It's not initiated by us. It's for us, but it's not initiated by us. It comes towards us, allowing you to do that which you could not do on your own. It would be impossible for you to do it on your own. It's divine empowerment. Often we we look at grace and we say it's unmerited favor. It is unmerited favor, right? It's favor from God that's on towards you that you don't deserve. That's what unmerited, unmerited favor means. But grace is so much more than unmerited favor. Grace is a divine empowerment where God's power, his ability and authority flows to you and through you to allow you to accomplish things that you could never do on your own. That's what grace is, right? Um, Why is Paul reestablishing the gospel of grace to the Galatians? In verse 6, it says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ For a different gospel, which is not just another account, but there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The churches of Galatia are being presented a different gospel, a a distorted gospel. And and it, it includes grace, right? It's the message of grace. But there's some law that's being added to. When we get into Galatians 2, um, the next time I preach in a couple weeks, um, we'll look at that more, what the specific thing is that they're talking about. Um, but the Galatian churches are being threatened. That the gospel that they received from Paul on the missionary journey is coming into question of whether it was sufficient, whether it is the true gospel, the, the ultimate, right, in the gospel. And the Galatians have been invited to make a choice between these two presentations of the gospel. One, it's a pure gospel of grace, and the other is a a, a message of grace, but it's really tainted by law. Um, In verse 8, it goes on, it says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And I love this because then Paul says the next sentence, and it's practically the same thing. Verse 9 says, as we have said before, he just said it, right? As we have said before, even now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Paul's pretty confident what the true gospel is. And anything contrary or added on or distorted to that truth of the message He has something rise up inside of him that says that's not okay. Um, Yeah. 
The gospel the Galatians are received, that they received on Paul's missionary journeys is coming under attack as being insufficient or lacking. Verse 10 says, For am I now seeking the favor of people or of God? Or am I striving to please people? If I still were trying to please people, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So Paul's ultimately, I think, saying to the Galatians, remember me. Remember who I am. Remember who was with you on these journeys that I was there. I am for you. I have your best interest in mind. I'm not self-seeking. I didn't come to you to gain something for myself. I came to you to give you the truth that leads to life. It's all for you. That's who I am. And Paul laid down his desire to please man and surrendered to walk in the fear of the Lord in every area of his life. He wasn't trying to please the Galatians, right, when he was there. He wasn't trying to please the, um, the other entities within the church, right, the different sects within the, the movement of, of the way or the Christian movement. His goal was to please God, always. Was he perfect? No. Are you perfect? Probably not, right? You're in good standing. But Paul's heart was to be laid down unto the Lord, that whatever the Lord would call him to do, whatever the Lord would call him to say, he would say it without fear. Um, Paul's not against growing in favor with man, right? Because we know that comes from the Lord, right? We're supposed to grow in favor with God and with man. But operating from a place of trying to please man separates us from God. Why? Because it's sin, right? It's a lordship issue. When you're trying to please a man or woman, right? You're putting them up here and you're saying, I worship you. I really care about what you say. There's something significant about that. Versus you serve the Lord. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to act? Sometimes he'll call you to say or do things that will bless people. And you'll grow in favor with men and women, right? But if there's an operating thing that's going on to please man, Paul's warning the Galatians, or the disciples of Galatia, right, that this new distorted gospel that's being presented to them and that they're considering it's all centered around the will of man or pleasing man or the traditions of man. And we're going to look at that as we keep going through Galatians. It's not centered on God. It's not the gospel of grace that Paul presented them when he was there on his first and second, second missionary journeys. So we're going to do it a quick aside just because he brings up the issue of people pleasing. And you may or may not have issues with that. But I felt like the Lord said to pause and to ask the question, are there any areas in your life that you're trying to please man? Right? Um, and can you see how that choice, and I highlighted that word on my slide and in my notes because I think often we view um, pleasing man or pleasing woman as, as sort of like um, it's part of who you are. It's become so habitual that it's just your nature. And the reality is it's not. It's a choice to operate in that way. And you may have done it 
for so many years that it feels like it's just who you are. It's what you do, right? And, but the truth is that it, to, to live in it, it does separate you from God. It doesn't separate, separate you from his love, right? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing, right? Whether you're the most righteous person in the house or you're the, the, the sinning all the time, right? You, nothing separates you from God's love. Nothing. It can't. But sin separates us from God. How does it work? Right? We don't, we're not intentionally trying to sin. Right? When I'm trying to, to, to please a person, what do you think is going on inside of me? I am rooted in some measure of fear about what's going to happen in this situation. And so I want to appease. I want to make it palatable. And really what it comes down to is I'm trying to protect myself. Now, I'm not saying that. Right? I'm not out there telling the person, you know, I'm really trying to protect myself and I'm scared to death. So can you just make this happen the way that I want it to happen or whatever like that? Right? We don't do that. We just think we're being nice. We're being kind. We're doing, but, but somewhere deep in there, there's this fear about what's going to happen in these relationships. And that's not of God. There's only one person to fear and that's the fear of the Lord. And that's not this cosmic policeman fear like, oh, I hope I don't mess up, right? It's a reverence and an awe of the God who loves you and has great things in store for you, right? And so if we're walking in people-pleasing, right, behavior, it's, it's the trajectory. It's like I'm walking here, and if I start just walking a little bit this way, am I going to get to the same place I was going? No. I'll move a little bit farther away from God every single time I make that choice. And so that's on God's heart today for some reason. Obviously, it's in the letter, but, um, but there's something there. And so the question I think to ask, secondary question is, what would it look like for you to bring if you find yourself in that situation? What does it look like to bring that or those areas under the lordship of Christ? What would it look like, even if it feels like, man, that's just who I am. That's what I always do. To bring that under the lordship of Christ and say, God, here I am. I'm going to lay this at your feet. Will you give me a grace to change that behavior? To make a different choice when I'm faced with circumstances and situations where my previous choice would always be, how can I please or self-protect in this situation? And so I'm going to pray that. And um, over anybody. And so I'm not going to have you stand or raise your hand or anything. But Jesus, um, you know who's in the house today and um, who will hear this message on the podcast. And Lord, you know those who struggle with this um, area of people pleasing. And it's, it's grounded in a desire to, um, of fear. The spirit of fear somehow has got in. And there's a desire to protect themselves. And Lord, the truth is that you are our protector. We're not created to protect ourselves. You didn't design us that way. Our Heavenly Father, you're the one who protects us. You guide us. You lead us, right? And you take us into any circumstance and situation. And we're not meant to be afraid because you're with us. You're for us. You're all powerful. You can lead us through. And you can give us wisdom in every situation and circumstance that we can live to please you, that every choice we make can be a, a choice to walk in the fear of the Lord and to honor and glorify you. Every choice we make, every relational connection, 
we can walk in a manner that honors and glorifies you. And Lord, I pray that you would just pour out grace, just um, like, I don't know, a typhoon of grace or a a tornado of grace or a, um, a hurricane of grace, a tsunami of grace over anybody who wrestles with this. That what, what they have told themselves or has been told to them that you all, you'll never change. This will always be part of who you are. We renounce that lie right now in Jesus' precious name. And we say there is a different way that comes with grace. And so, Lord, would you meet each person who, who's in that spot today and wreck them with grace. Wreck them with grace. That we would no longer live out of fear in our relationships, any relationship but we would live out of a place of peace, a place of following your leading, a place of trust. Yeah, that you're with us and for us and you'll guide us. Yeah, amen. All right, that was an aside. So that's a, that's a freebie. Um, verse 11, back to the letter. Paul goes on, he says, For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel which was preached by me is not of human invention. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You guys get that? Most everything we we hold feels like we've been taught by somebody. Paul's making a case, and it's it's part of his journey, right? You know his story. He got knocked off the horse right on the road to Damascus. He was on a mission to destroy the people of the way or the Christians, right? Um, And he thought he was in God's will. He wasn't this horrible person that was trying to go against God. He thought he was doing the will of the Lord by eradicating this, this new movement that was preaching a different thing, right? And that was was wrong. And then the Lord knocks him down, and he has this epiphany and this this encounter with God. And his physical eyes became blind. Later, he was prayed for. His eyes became open, but his spiritual eyes were open as well. And he went from that place to a place of being with the Lord, and he received revelation about the truth of what Jesus did and what the gospel really is. He says in verse 13, "...for you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism." how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see another one of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which are in Christ. But they only kept hearing the man who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Right? His story is amazing. Talk about repentance. 
right? Repentance is just you're going this way and you flip around and you go this way. That, that's full repentance right there for Paul. Right? He's, he's, what he was going to destroy, now he is uplifting and he's laying down his life to defend. It's amazing. The Lord gripped him. And I love how he says that the call was on him since his mother's womb. Do you get that? He had no clue until he had the encounter with God. Often we don't have a clue of what we're really called to until we encounter God because he reveals what he had deposited when you were in your mother's womb. And even as believers, many of us, we're still sort of lost because I think we we really just need a greater encounter with the Lord for him to reveal who you really are and what you're meant to accomplish. Then you can get launched on it, right? You look at Paul's life. It was not an easy road at all. Nobody would sign up for it unless you knew what it afforded him, which was life, fullness of life. I believe when Paul finished his days, he would look back and he said, what an amazing life. And you think about all he had to endure. But look at all he gained. It's phenomenal. Um, Paul's reminding the Galatians of his story, of God's grace that was poured out to him and rescued him and set Paul on a path to a, and a destiny to be the apostle to the Gentiles. There was no concept of being an apostle to the Gentiles by the disciples of the early church. It was the farthest thing from their minds. But God, it was on his heart. And he knew there was a man who would say yes. He had to go through a whole lot to get his attention, <laughs> right? Um, ultimately, Paul starts the letter by saying to the Galatians, If you were to put it in a word, remember. Remember the gospel that I preached to you. Remember the truth of the gospel, not just the what that happened, but the truth behind it, the grace that flows from the gospel. This power and authority from God towards you to accomplish what you could never do on your own. And he's shining light back on that gospel. He's saying, I know It's been reported that there's some other people that are coming along trying to distort what was spoken to you when I was there. This is concerning. And we're going to talk about it. And he keeps talking about it as we go through the letter. Um, Chapter 1 ends there. And I feel like um, the question for us is just how does this intersect with our lives? Like, You know, I asked the Holy Spirit, so why are you bringing this up? Why do you want us to look at this? When we're asking this question about having a a greater baptism in the Holy Spirit and how empowered do I want to be by the Spirit? Why why Galatians? And he highlighted some questions for us to sort of explore. And I think it will, they'll take shape as we go through the rest of the book, if that makes sense. Um, But the first question is, are there ways that you've abandoned or accepted a distorted version of the gospel of grace that you received when you accepted Jesus into your heart. And that may be intentionally, right? You feel like you got some new revelation, some new teaching, some new training, and now you've added this to what you currently held. 
But if you sort of step back and you look at it, you can see, you know, that really isn't the gospel of grace. That's actually, there's a little bit of law that's in there because you got to do this and this and this in order to uh, make it all okay. And, and or unintentionally, right? You're just going along life, you're doing your thing, and next thing you know, you find, you know, I've started believing this piece of this until someone comes and says, hey, I don't know if that's really the kingdom. And you're sort of like, oh, I just, I don't know how I got here, but I got here. And I've been believing this piece. And it takes somebody from the, a brother or sister come along and say, hey, I, I don't think that is really the gospel of grace. And that, I feel like, is what Paul's doing. And so for us, it's a time to open up and say, are we doing any of that? Is there anything the Holy Spirit would highlight? Another way to ask a similar question would be, are there areas in your life that you're trying to earn from God? Maybe you're trying to earn his love. Or maybe you're trying to earn favor. Well, back to love. God's love is on towards you the full measure that it could ever be, and it will never change. There's nothing that can change the flow of love of God towards you. Nothing. No bad behavior, nothing that you don't do that you should do. None of it. None of it. There's nothing you could ever do that will negate the love of Christ on towards you. It's truth. Um, So to try to earn his love is laughable. But we do it. I'm guilty at times, even though I know the truth, right? Um, Favor. How do you grow in favor? We just looked at that last year. You grow in favor by growing in intimacy with God, positioning yourself in intimacy with God, getting really, really close and staying close with him. And then as he gives you assignments of things to step out in and to do, you say yes. And as you continue to stay close and you walk with what he calls you to do, he increases your favor. Because he knows that he's found somebody who's willing to say yes and to go to places that he wants to go and to accomplish things that he wants to accomplish. Jesus grew in favor with God, as hard as that is to believe, and with man. And how did he do it? Because he abided in the Lord. He had time with the Father, right, every single day. This intimacy, and then when situational things came up, he said yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, right? We don't have time for it, but it'd be interesting for you to look up the the progression of, of different kinds of miracles in the Gospels. It's fascinating. If you look up the progression of resurrection from the dead, it starts in one place, it ends in a whole nother place. I think that's favor. That's not this message, but there's, there's other things in there too. It's phenomenal, um, and it's really, really cool. But favor, you can't earn God's favor. It doesn't work that way, um, but you might be trying to. Or some of us, we try to earn an outcome to a situation. We really want this new job. We really want to be healed. We really want whatever. And so we try to earn it from God. I'm going to fast and pray. I'm going to read my Bible this much. I'm going to carve out this much time. I'm going to go serve. I'm going to give away all my money. Can you earn the outcome? No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, Are there any areas in your life you're trying to earn from God? 
You might be reading scripture, giving, serving, doing, but the motivation in your heart is not in the right place. Right? It's a question to explore. Uh, another question. Or remember your first love? Do you remember when you first accepted Jesus? I don't know everybody in the room, so I don't know if everybody has a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want to find out more about that, come talk to me after the end of the service. Or really, you could talk to many people in the room. It's like, hey, what is he talking about, this relationship with Jesus? Right? I, I was 19 years old. No, I'd take that back. I was 17 years old before I heard the term of having a personal relationship with Jesus. I didn't accept Jesus into my heart until I was 20, 20 years old. But I didn't even know the concept. It was like a foreign language. And so you might be in the room today and you're like, I don't know anything about having a relationship with Jesus. Um, you're in a really good spot. Because if, if you're here and he's talking about it and it's hitting something inside of you, there's probably something he has for you, right? Um, all right, I'm getting all over the place. Is there anything the Lord would have you pick up again that you stopped doing? So when you first became a Christian and you accepted Jesus, is there things that just how your relationship was with him, of how you engaged him and connected with him, that maybe you've, you've let go over the years? Like you feel like, well, I, I've grown from glory to glory. I've had new things and exciting things. Is there anything he would want you to pick back up? That was this tender place of intimacy between you and him. Right? This sweet encounter, this, this place or type of place where you connected with him. Is there anything like that? Again, it's just to ask. If there's not, it's okay. You don't have to make something up. But if there is, allow him to highlight it and then enter back into that place. Right? even though your life is very different than it was for them. Um, are there ways that you have detracted or added from the truth of the gospel in order to make your circumstances or disappointment with what God hasn't done more palatable? And I'll, I'll give you an example from my own life. So you guys know we've, we've explored this issue of powerlessness, right? Or the quest for more of God's power. And so some of the, the truths from Scripture is Jesus gave his disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple, right? He gave his disciples all authority and dominion. And he said that we, as disciples, would do the same works that he did and even greater works. And some people look at that red letter in their Bibles, and they say that was just for the disciples he was talking to. And other people, I'm included in this camp, feel like that's for every single disciple, any disciple. There's tension. Um, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to the disciples when he ascended. He said, it's good for me to go so the Holy Spirit could come. And then the Holy Spirit fills and empowers the disciples. I believe that's every disciple, not just the disciples in the upper room, the 120 that were there, um, to um, advance the kingdom. And we see models of this in history, right? So we see the book of Acts, right? So you have your scriptures. You see the multiple people, not just those who were in the 120, right? Peter ministers to this whole group with um, Cornelius and the Gentiles. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? God's being poured out not just on Jewish believers, but on Gentile believers in miraculous ways, right? There's this, this amazing thing that happens in the book of Acts that you see. And then as, as history goes on, we see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Moravians in this late 1700s, 
You see the Welsh revival. You see people I spoke about earlier, John G. Lake, William Seymour, Amy Simple McPherson, right? Who some, they, she was hungry for more. There was this truth that there's more. When I read my Bible and I read what Jesus says and I read what the word says, it indicates there's more than what the church is currently experiencing. I want the more. It's a hunger, and, and that's the same with all of these people. Randy Clark, Heidi Baker, Bill Johnson, right? Um, there's many more, right? They all pressed in for the more, and at some point in their quest, they received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like they didn't, never had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, but something happened new that shook them to the core, and they received a greater grace or this divine power that flowed through them where they started seeing that wherever they went, there was a greater release of divine signs, wonders, and miracles. Things of the kingdom, like Jesus said, that you would do the same works and even greater works. And so I look at that. I hold that. In the past five years, I've had three friends that have died. Um, After I prayed a prayer of faith as best that I knew because I believed that they were going to live. And those three friends have passed away. Other friends are suffering from these various ailments and injuries and hard things after prayer and prayer and prayer and prayer. Right? As best as I know how. Looking to the Lord, trying to access power, releasing what I feel like I received. And they're still in those conditions. Other friends have been miraculously healed. Things I could never imagine. And I hold it all. And yet, in my heart of hearts, in my spirit, I know there's more. Because when I look at my current reality, I'm not seeing the same works as Jesus or even greater works. I'm seeing a smattering of these divine encounters, places, people being touched. When I look at how the disciples in Acts lived, when I look at these sort of um, heroes of the faith who pressed for more, I see there's way more than what I'm currently experiencing. Um, And so I hold that. The question I have to ask myself is, do I press for the reality of the promise for the more? Or do I change or adjust or make exceptions to the truth of what Jesus said so it can fit my reality? God's going to do whatever he wants to do. (laughs) It doesn't matter what I do. Right? At some point, if you land in a camp where it's God's will, whatever God wants, we don't have to pray. Why pray? Why pray for healing? Why pray for God's provision, breakthrough? Why? If it's just God, God's going to do whatever he's going to do. But if you look through the scriptures, you see God's often looking for individuals that partner with him. And sometimes there's individuals in Scripture that actually change God's mind. God, would you spare the city if there was 10 believers in the city? God, would you spare it if there was five? And, And God, who was set to destroy this thing, right, says... I'll spare it if there's that many. There's this this intimacy with the Lord 
that I think we, we sort of dance with every now and then, but God has more for us of walking in the Spirit. There, there's another level of living that I think we've sort of settled for our current reality and have called it good enough. And I think that grieves him. I think he's, he's, he's um, at least he's pushing his finger on me, I don't know, <laughs> where I can't live that way anymore. And, and I might die living in the quest for the more. I think that's okay. I'll be okay with that. But I can't go back to how I used to live. I've gone too far. I have. And I think that's it. So that's a question. So that's just an example for you. Well, I'll share one more testimony. But for you, for you, it may not be healing, right? That kind of thing. There may be some other aspect of the gospel that you've sort of made peace with it not being the full reality of what it was supposed to be or what it says in scripture that it is. And I think God wants us to open that up again and just say, okay, do I really believe what Jesus said? Do I take him at his word or do I change that somehow to make it fit my experience? An example with healing, I always talk about healing, but um, John G. Lake, at the time of his, his ministry, in Spokane, Washington, there was a, um, a father who had a five-year-old. And the five-year-old had a, a pr- brain condition where his brain started to swell. It, his whole head was misshapen. The bones and the structures within his head were um, not functioning the way they were supposed to function. So he, he looked weird. He couldn't walk. He, couldn't, he was like um, just a mess. The father, uh, any father who has a child with a condition, right, your heart breaks, and you're desperate to try to figure out, what can I do? Is there anything I can do? The doctors told the man, there's nothing you can do for your kid. The best place is send him to an asylum. The man goes to his pastor, and he asks his pastor, is there anything that you can do for my child? But the pastor was in a church that believed that all of the divine healings had stopped, that they had been for a, a season to show the glory of God through Jesus and the early church. And then they stopped. And somewhere along the line in that train, it became the norm for them, mostly probably because they stopped seeing miracles. And it was a way to make peace with what they were seeing and experiencing. I don't know for sure about that church, right? But that's part of history. And so this man left his pastor like, There's nothing I can do for my kid. There's nothing God can do for my kid. Somehow he stumbled along the healing rooms in John G. Lake. They said, yeah, we could do something for your kid. (laughs) They took him in. At that time, you stayed in the healing rooms. Within two weeks, the boy started walking. Within seven weeks, his whole head, everything that was wrong with his head was completely healed. Within like, I think it was 12 weeks. I don't want to exaggerate, but not that long. He was able to get enrolled in a public school. And at the time of the writing that I read, he was married and had a family and was doing life. And so if the, if the father had stopped here, the medical community says there's nothing you can do. The church says there's nothing you can do. His son would have just stayed in an asylum his whole life. 
But someone believed there was more. John G. Lake and a group of believers, they believed there was more because of what they read Jesus said in the word. Jesus healed all who came to him. That's the standard. And we don't like that because we have too many friends that die or that live in pain. And we, we want to make them comfortable or something. I don't know. We're, it's awkward because it doesn't, it doesn't rest on us, but it, it involves us. Anyway, I'll leave that there. Um, is there any area of the gospel that you've detracted or added from the truth in order to make your circumstances or disappointment with what God hasn't done more palatable? All right, two more. Oh, I can't get my paper. You could go to the next one and the next one. <laughs> All right, relationship. Um, when you think about your relationship with God, is it a checklist? Relationship. How many of you guys make lists every day? I got my list in my pocket. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do today. I've checked off so many already this morning. It's been a productive morning, right? Every day I have a checklist. Is your relationship with God a checklist? Read the Bible, spend some time worshiping, make some declarations, right? Love on somebody, give away something, do something, right? I don't know. Or is your relationship based on conversation, intimacy, and engagement? Do you talk with God like you would a friend? Do you listen to God? Right? You might be reading your word, the Bible, and you're just asking him questions about it. Is it about intimacy? Is it, are you engaging one another? Right? We, we know whether it's a, a marital relationship or a friendship. Does anybody want a checklist? You want to be someone's checklist? You might get a lot of stuff, right? I don't think anybody wants that. But somehow, over the course of time, we often make our relationship with God a checklist. I need to do this, 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 and this, and then God will be content with me or something, right? right? It's a different way of looking at the earning thing. Um, all right, explore that. Um, last thing, last question. It has to do with um, just the difference between striving and grace. All right, striving, you're trying really hard to accomplish something. Grace is all about receiving, resting, and remaining. Remember, grace is from God towards you. Your only responsibility with grace is to receive it. If you don't receive it, you don't get it. You have to receive it. You have to take it in. Allow it to overwhelm you, like to saturate you. Grace involves resting. It's just resting in the truth of what he says, who he is, what he says about you, resting in who you are. You're wanted, you're loved, you're cared for. He laid his life down that you would have relationship with the Father. It's, it's less about what you have to do. He's already done it. You just have to rest in it, right? And then grace is about um, remaining. Right? Pastor Lou gave a message a while ago about abiding in Christ or remaining in him. Staying connected. You're just remaining in him as you do every area of your life, from waking up to going to bed, right? You're just connected. 
asking him about every situation that comes across your screen, processing with him. It's remaining in him. It's not, these are not passive. It's, it's active, right? It's not the same as striving, but there's an activeness to it of, of receiving, resting, and remaining. And I think God wants to, to open that up more for us as we go through the beginning of this year um, and study Galatians. I think there's an invitation for us to feast, reflect, and grow, and, um, and explore this topic of how, how do you live in the Spirit? How do we? How does one <laughs> live in the Spirit? And then do you want to be one who lives in the Spirit? Right? I think the first key that we see in Galatians chapter 1 is that the gospel is a gospel of grace. And it's a gospel of divine empowerment. And you can't learn how to walk in the spirit unless you receive his grace, receive his divine empowerment. And once you have that, then you can take the next step. And we're just going to keep looking at that as we go through Galatians. But there's something about that. If you can't receive the gospel of grace, then you're stuck over here. You have to receive the fullness of what it is. You can't, it can't be a distorted gospel. It'll take you off in the wrong direction. It's the truth of the gospel, like Paul preached to the Galatians. The truth, the simple truth of what Jesus did, what he accomplished for us. The relational connection back to the Father, that the Father is for you. The Father's love is on towards you, right? There's nothing, it's so simple, and yet it's so big, right? And, and I feel like, um, obviously, God wants to get our attention this year with this. There's more he has for us. Let's pray. Um, Holy Spirit, I do, I thank you. I thank you you're with us, you're for us. I thank you that, um, that even as we, we uh, think about these questions, these ideas, as we look at the, the, um, the scripture, the text of Galatians chapter 1, that there's ways that you will open our eyes to see it like we've never seen it before. That you'll give us fresh revelation as we position ourselves to receive from you. We thank you for the gospel of grace. That it's not about earning something. It's not about adding to what you've already done in order for us to stay connected to you. It's everything's motivated on your end towards us. And we just need to receive it. And Lord, I pray just for your grace to cover every single person who hears the sound of my voice. As they reflect on these ideas and these concepts, Lord, would you expose anything that would be robbing them of life? Anything that would be deterring them or distorting the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel, of your love that's on towards them, of the life that they can have with you in walking in the spirit. And we just ask for your grace to bless um, us, right? Again, this tsunami of grace to wash over us, to lead us, to guide us. Lord, we, we thank you that you have a desire for us to walk in the spirit in ways we never have before. There's new realms. There's new adventures. There's new opportunities that you have for us that will accomplish um, both fullness of life for us personally, but it also will bring about transformation in the lives of many. And we say yes to that. We just want more of you. Lord, in the places where we get stuck, where we don't know how to navigate, would you give us wisdom? And where the enemy will try to rush in and sort of snatch or lie to us and um, try to deter or distract us. We just pray for your grace with that as well. Would you 
Give us eyes to see. And then continue to strengthen our community as we walk in this together. And it's not just about one man or one woman. It's about a body that's moving forward together to accomplish great things for the Lord. Yeah. Mm. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for who you are. And Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We want to know you more. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we just want to know you more. We want to walk with you closer. We want to live and breathe and have our being in you. Yeah. Yeah. We just ask for your blessing in that way. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.